Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. As the world emerges from COVID-19 and travel comes back, often in huge numbers, so are many travel scams. Offers that sound too good to be true, fake websites, and fake travel agents using the seductive lure of travel to steal money from consumers. During the first 12 months of the pandemic alone, more than $74 million that we know of was lost to travel scams. I'll speak with U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar, a former Minnesota prosecutor, on her new bill that deals with consumer protection from those travel scams. And, of course, how widespread the problem really is. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I've got a figure for you that might surprise you. During the pandemic, when people weren't really traveling a lot, about $74 million was lost by by people to to travel scammers. And, uh, you know, we've been covering travel scams for a long time. Usually they happen when people really are traveling a lot. But, of course, the dream of travel and the lure of travel and the lure of getting a great deal is something that some people just cannot avoid falling for. And joining me now is someone who's actually just launched a bill called the Protecting Consumers from Travel Fraud Bill in the U.S. Senate. Happy to have on the shows the senator from the state of Minnesota, Amy Klobuchar. Senator Klobuchar, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks so much, Peter. 
So let's talk about this. $74 million during the pandemic what, was people posing as travel agents or even fake web or fake travel websites. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I had another job before being a senator as a prosecutor, and I did a lot on white collar crime. And you would not believe the scams people engage in. And when you think about the pandemic, even though you're right, people weren't traveling as much, but one, they were dreaming of traveling. <laughs> And two, a lot of people were using the internet who maybe didn't use it before, like first-time users to Zoom, like my mother-in-law, who, after she discovered it, had a three-hour Zoom Thanksgiving dinner. So people <laughs> were new at the internet. And so what happened? Well, um, one couple from Minnesota um, who were trying to figure out their timeshare condo paid more than $7,000 to someone who offered to negotiate it for them and then, of course, did nothing. Or there were refund scams as many people during the pandemic had to cancel trips and reservations at the last minute. And then these scammers would charge a fee and promise them they'd get their refunds. There were no refunds and they'd already paid out stuff to the scammers. Those are just some few examples. And so what we saw was that travel scams, like a promise of a free hotel stay or a deeply discounted booking, grew to a staggering, as you note, nearly $5 billion in the U.S., an 80% increase from last year. And so that's what I did the bill. I'm also generally interested in tourism. I head up the Tourism Caucus. I think people underestimate the amount of jobs that our country gets out of tourism. Um, 52,000 jobs a year, 56 billion um, to the um, to the U.S. economy just out of our international travel and the work we've done on Brand USA. But overall, it's a 766 billion dollar industry, and that is right before the pandemic. The figures that we had. So I, I think that when you hear about travel scams, you have to put it in the context of how much this one means to our economy and to how much consumers travel and want to travel, especially now. You know, you talk about the dream of travel. I can't begin to tell you how many emails I'm still getting from companies or corporations telling me I want a free trip. Um, yeah. or, and, and the interesting thing is, as you dig a little deeper, you find out that in order to claim your prize, you have to give them your credit card. Excuse me? Yes, exactly. And, that, and, and you that's know, still going on. It is, there are so many scams out there. Um, and the general idea, and I'll get to our bill in a second, but the general idea is if you get one of those, don't answer them, don't give your emails, don't open up the link because they may be trapping you just that way. They're fishing for you to get involved with them. Um, and just don't, don't engage, basically. Um, and if someone calls you that feels more legitimate, just ask them for their number and you call them and try to figure out if it's real because so many times they're just scamming you. Um, and it's you. there are verified websites of airlines and hotels you can go to and online travel agencies that are more well-known um, where you can go and actually book stuff without engaging in these scams. Almost every one of these free deals you get is going to be a scam. And in fact, we've... And, and in fact, we've seen instances where they're actually uh, misappropriating, reg, you know, well-known brand logos of like Holiday Inn or Sheridan, uh, and then telling you that you've won a free trip, and you've actually what what you've won, perhaps, is a stay at one of these hotels. Um, it's actually a timeshare presentation, which you don't know you're getting, and then 
uh, in order to claim your hotel stay, you have to book your travel through them. If you book your travel through them, they're going to charge you an outrageous amount for your airline tickets. It's a lose-lose situation. Exactly. And so just generally, the smart thing to do is find the sites yourself instead of getting something that was sent to you. Um, and that way you can be much more sure it's a real thing because this, these links, and they, it can even be worse, of course. They're trying to link into your phone. Uh, they're trying to get you to put in your social security number or your credit card number. Um, it's just endless. And so that's why Senator Daines, who's a, a Republican senator, he and I introduced this bill just to get the FTC really focused on this. And it's already passed out of the Commerce Committee, and it requires them to report these scams to Congress so we can start doing a better job of holding them accountable and with a new FTC coming in, um, holding companies accountable and getting the information that we need to figure out do we need to make new laws, put new laws on the books. Are there things the states can do? Because often the states are doing really good stuff, but there's no vehicle to share it with and to give best practices back and forth. And then finally, requiring the FTC to uh, include these scams and get them out to the public uh, so that people understand what's happening. Because some of the things I'm sure you and I have talked about on the show, people did not know before. And so there's a real education effort that has to go on here. We're talking with Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota. Senator, you know, the FTC, I'm assuming in part of your bill, you're going to give them the strength to do more enforcement action as well. Um, well, exactly. That's something else that has to happen here. And I am a big believer in my former job as prosecutor as uh, deterrence works, <laughs> especially when it comes to white collar criminals, uh, because um, once you see that the Justice Department is taking on uh, some of these uh, scams, and you see it out, it would most likely be done through the U.S. Attorney's Office in the States. It makes a big difference. I still remember a case that I had um, involving, a little bit involving travel, but it was a senior who uh, literally lost her, a widow lost her husband's life savings to a guy that promised her a bunch of trips and travel and doing things uh, with him. And then she ends up losing all her money and it turns out he uses it on plastic surgery for himself where he goes to Brazil. Oh my God. We, we catch up with him. And I still remember she was so angry that the sheriff's deputies believed they needed to be in the room because they didn't know what this elderly widow was going to do to this guy. And we ended up putting him in jail. But it is it is um, real and it is sadly often targeted against seniors. And especially as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you've got more and more seniors on the internet. And so a lot of it is them you know, talking to family members before they push yes or uh, do a link or sign up for one of these things. And then there's prosecutions. We've come a long way from uh, my early days where I remember we would catch people because they had the um, senior homes that would be circled in the yellow pages and they'd tear out the pages and have it in their car and then we'd figured out they were going to rob them. This is much more sophisticated and our laws and our prosecutions have to be as sophisticated as these rip-off artists. And if there's one consolation, I suppose, 
if you're stupid enough to fall for it, at the very least, do not pay cash. Do not use your check. Do not ever use your debit card. At the very least, use a credit card so at least you have some recourse under the Federal Credit Act because you're not receiving something that you contracted for. Yeah, except you really want to give your credit card to these guys, you know? I mean, the best thing is just to not believe you can get stuff for free and realize the sad truth that that just isn't going to happen. So don't fall for these when you get the emails or get the phone calls. Have you ever gotten one, by the way? Oh, I get these all the time. I, I try, I'm always referring them to agencies. I mean, I'm like everyone else. I get, I got spam a call from Minneapolis, and that's one of the things they do just today. What happened? And I thought, oh, they, they, it's got to be someone at home. It said wireless caller. Because I get a lot of black lines. Big surprise, Peter. Uh, the senators often block their lines. So when it ever <laughs> says you don't know their identity, I always, it's either a senator or a scammer. <laughs> true story so today i thought well this must be real someone calling me and what they're doing now of course is they figure out they probably don't know who i am but they figure out um your where you do a lot of calls right so they know i'm calling minnesota a lot so they put a fake call in through minnesota and the minute i heard that it was uh, automated voice i just hung it up um but like everyone else i've gotten these emails i've gotten what you've referred to those fake um, fake things, even with social media companies or with tech companies where it looks like you have a problem and then they want you to contact them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just really scary stuff. And people have to be really careful and aware of all the scams going on right now. Senator Amy Klobuchar, I love the idea. It's either a senator or a scammer. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not the same, Peter. They're okay. <laughs> My thanks to Senator Klobuchar. Again, if a travel deal sounds too good to be true, chances are it is too good to be true. It's a growing trend, and during the pandemic, the number of Americans looking to relocate permanently really ramped up. Robert Wood from The Economist has put together a fascinating report on global livability. It studied 140 cities based on numerous categories, including stability, healthcare, culture and environment, education, and infrastructure, as well as 30 additional key indicators. And the results might surprise you. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So what's the real fallout from the pandemic in terms of livability, wherever you happen to be or wherever you happen to want to go? So many people have been moving during the pandemic, starting new uh, new lives in different locations. A lot of people, the mobility aspects of, uh, of the pandemic response have been staggering, bigger than anybody ever expected. Joining me now from The Economist, Robert Wood. Robert, thanks for joining us. Hi, Peter. So here's my question. You know, it's the livability quotient, isn't it? It's global livability that has been affected in so many ways, good, bad, or ugly, uh, by the pandemic and some surprises as well. Yeah. So the uh, EAU every year does a, a global livability index. Uh, and it, it's sort of uh, it's a guide to help uh, multinational companies 
locate their uh, uh, their employees and also perhaps look at the potential sort of hardship payments, uh, you know, depending on where they're, uh, which city they're being uh, located to. And it, it works in conjunction with our world cost of living uh, index as well. Uh, the global livability um, index that we do every year, uh, we look at 140 cities worldwide and we look at uh, five broad categories. So we're looking at stability, healthcare, culture and environment, education and infrastructure. Uh, and we, across those five broad categories, we have 30 indicators in total. And then on the basis of that, we, we produce an index from zero to 100 with all the scores of the different cities. So, you know, what's happened this time around? Well, we actually did, um, our first survey was in September 2020. So it was already sort of seeing some of the deteriorations after uh, the COVID pandemic across uh, across the uh, across the globe. Uh, this time around, so we did the survey in late Feb between late February and March, and what we've seen um, the results really sort of reflect the extent to which cities have managed to get on top of the pandemic. And what what we've seen is particularly uh, cities in New Zealand, Australia, and Japan topping the rankings, those cities that we cover in the top 10. In fact, I'm looking I'm looking at this, Robert, eight of the eight eight Asia-Pacific cities ranked in the top 10. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, Wellington, of course, one of the cities in New Zealand, but you've got Melbourne and Brisbane, Perth, three cities in Australia, Adelaide kicks in, uh, and then Osaka and Tokyo. So that's, that's quite significant. Yeah. So, you know, obviously New Zealand had, you know, had the advantage of being a, an island, but they did take the decision very early on to control their borders. And that's really paid off. They've been able to keep cultural events and sporting events open, schools um, opening up, and also keep the, uh, the you know, the COVID uh, case count right down. So they've done pretty well in the rankings. Japan also, Japanese cities, they you know, typically have scored pretty well because of how they've done in the other indicators, particularly uh, stability, so social stability, low crime. And they've done pretty well as well in terms of getting on top uh, of, the, of the pandemic. And then I'm looking at all this, Robert, and I'm seeing that one of the cities that was always ranked in the, in the top 10, in fact, it was at one point ranked the world's most livable city, Vienna, it dropped down to 12th place. That's right. So while, you know, while some of the, well, we've seen some of the cities in uh, in the East uh, doing well, they've overtaken uh, Vienna, uh, which has sort of topped, topped the ranking in previous years. And that is because um, you know, uh, European, Western Europe, Western European cities haven't, you know, have had this sort of second wave. They've had to close down. Uh, vaccination has been much slower than uh, not just in, uh, um, you know, the other countries, but also in the United States. The United States, cities in the United States have actually moved up uh, the index pretty well this time around. But uh, yeah, Vienna for now uh, has dropped down, you know, because, you know, they have got sort of a bit behind. I think going forward, you know, what we'd expect is once uh, European cities get on top of the pandemic and we sort of move out, uh, we'll see, you know, greater scores uh, for, for these Western uh, exactly. countries, particularly, you know, Vienna. I mean, Zurich and, uh, you know, in Switzerland, they did pretty well. So we have Zurich and Geneva in the top 10 uh, and they've been sort of regular uh, players in uh, the top of the ranking. So they managed to do pretty well. But uh, others in Western Europe, you know, have have struggled a bit. By the way, I'm looking at this uh, th- this chart. One of the big movers in the U.S. was Honolulu. Yeah, absolutely. So it, what it rose up 46 places to number 14. Right. So, you know, they they got on top of uh, the vaccine rollout. 
So by the time we took the uh, the survey, uh, February, March, um, I think over 50% of the population already had had one single dose. Uh, and so, you know, they've gone up, you know, they've got ahead of other cities. Another city that did well in the US was actually um, Houston. So we have the Texas governor sort of reopening the economy a bit earlier than other cities. And that enabled Houston to move up the rankings, particularly for um, you know access to cultural and sporting events. Well, you know, the interesting thing to me is that there's pre-pandemic ratings and, of course, post-pandemic ratings. The one city that really didn't change, and it's not a surprise, is the world's most, I should say, the world's least livable city, Damascus in Syria. That's right. I mean, there are you know big sort of structural things going on here that keep uh, that, that keep these cities right down at the bottom. Uh, so you know they were already scoring pretty low across a lot of these uh, a lot of these thirty indicators that we exactly. Scored. I guess the I guess the takeaway here, Robert, is if they'll let you in, the best place to be is Auckland in New Zealand. <laughs> My thanks to Robert. We all know that leisure travel has now come back with a vengeance, but business travel, not so fast. And in fact, in some regions, not at all. Gunther Bright from American Express has been tracking global business travel and knows what the factors are that will trigger its return. Helpful information even for leisure travelers looking to get a deal. follow the trends like I do. We all know that leisure travel is exploding almost exponentially. We know it's coming back with a vengeance. We know that every airplane is full. Every airport is full. The TSA is understaffed. The airlines are understaffed. Restaurants are understaffed. Hotels are understaffed. In fact, everybody you know is understaffed, but that doesn't deal with what makes the airlines their most money, and that's, of course, business travel. And every indication up until recently has said and indicated that business travel is not coming back this year. Uh, Business travel will maybe morph into next year, slide into the middle of next year, meetings and conventions the same way. But now let's take a look at sentiment, not what people are necessarily doing, but what they're thinking about. And joining me now, the Executive Vice President of Global and U.S. Large Enterprises at American Express, say that three times fast, Gunther Bright. How are you, sir? I'm well, Peter. How are you? I'm good. So let's talk about these numbers because every flight that I'm on is full and yet no business travelers that I see. uh, And yet everybody who I know who is a business traveler tells me they're coming back. What are you seeing on your end? I see. So, Peter, I deal with a lot of customers who have hundreds, thousands, over 100,000 individuals, employees who have our corporate uh, card and corporate uh, products. And I speak to a lot of these decision makers. And uh, you are right as of yet because of the uh, we're just coming out this uh, on the other side of the pandemic. There hasn't been a lot of corporate travel. In fact, though, what is promising is on the horizon, uh, business travel is definitely going to pick up uh, and is going to return. Uh, We did a a survey. And in the survey, it says that people are really realizing the importance of travel in terms of the power of being in person and having those uh, connections, whether it's you know, business travel fueling more business growth and business travel really building and helping build a, a culture and a career. So the individuals who are decision makers uh, and influencers in uh, this space are definitely, definitely optimistic that as vaccinations take place, that travel is definitely coming back. And we know that travel is coming back, as I said, leisure-wise, but what you're really talking about is anticipation and people basically saying, I want to. The question really becomes is how do you translate that into I'm going? 
Yeah. So again, having conversations with many of the individuals who are responsible for that decision, they have a couple of things that they say to me. First, obviously, the well-being of their employees, making sure that their employees can travel safely and have really a different experience, which American Express helps them do that. And as the vaccination, again, is distributed more widely, uh, they're making uh, determinations. And in fact, Peter, what they're doing is putting back T&E budget in their uh, business. So last year, obviously, it was uh, T&E travel budget was cut dramatically. Uh, the co- individuals I'm speaking to now actually have told me that for even this year, Q4 of 2021, they're putting budgets in and they're increasing it materially for 2022. Of course, Gunther gets back into corporate travel policy policies to begin with. I mean, up until recently, many Fortune 500 companies, in fact, almost all of them were essentially saying all non-essential travel, at least business-wise, is not allowed. Uh, You'd had to get, you know, the the highest corporate papal dispensation in order to travel. And by the way, that applied to me also at CBS News. So big business trips were out, even small business trips were out. And yet my guess is, and I've been saying this now for the last three months, is all you really need is one Fortune 500 company sales team to say, you know what, and just like you said, Gunther, we we need to get in, in the face of our of our clients. We need to see them person to person and we're going back. The minute you have one of those teams going out, their competitors don't want to be at a, at a disadvantage and they're going to go. The question is, are they going to tell anybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you raise a great uh, point, Peter. It becomes a competitive disadvantage if you're not traveling when your competitors are traveling. But, but it goes beyond just the competition. As I said, I'll give you some uh, uh, some stats. From a business travel building culture, 88% of business travelers believe that business travelers can contribute to a stronger leader, uh, building strong leadership skills. From you talking about building and uh, fueling business growth, 86% of business travelers are looking forward to getting back to business when it is safe because they believe that that travel and those relationships face-to-face and that connection is really, really important. Lastly, 79% of business travelers prefer in-person brainstorms and collaboration meetings over virtual. We've obviously, during this pandemic, have adapted to talking to flat screens, but that has run its course for the most part. Now, we've gotten uh, much more agile and adapted to this way of communication, but it's really not uh, sustainable, and we're seeing that in some of the productivity numbers, and we're seeing that in just diluted relationships or the challenge with building new ones. Of course, the other question that is brought up, and you just mentioned it, they're ready to go back when it's safe, but who's going to tell them it's safe? Uh, you know, I, I think the metrics have changed here, where it used to be based on the vaccination percentage of where you were going, and now it's based on the vaccination percentage of the people who are going. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the EU is letting all the vaccinated Americans in now because of our vaccination levels and the numbers speak louder than words. If I were to go to Africa right now, the Africans might let me in, but at the same time, their vaccination levels as a continent are under 5%. So if you're going to base the word safety on their vaccination levels, nobody would be going anywhere. Yeah, so uh, as you're aware, Peter, the vaccination levels vary by uh, continent, by country. Obviously, again, as I mentioned, the well-being of employees is going to be really top of mind. That has become high a priority on the consideration set. And 
large corporations, mid-sized corporations, they have insight into the rate of vaccinations that is happening. And so they won't let, uh, as with American Express, we are very, very thoughtful as we think about uh, reimagine travel policy. Where the des- who's vaccinated first? So where is the where are they planning on going? So what's their destination? And if we feel comfortable uh, approving uh, that trip, so and and again it, it varies by continent by country. That's going to go into consideration. Set given uh, that we are you know coming out of this pandemic, especially at some of the more affluent uh, countries. But that's not uh, sure. unfortunately equally distributed. One of the most fascinating things I've seen in your research is, and I've seen it myself, how many people have used the pandemic as an opportunity to look for new job opportunities in new destinations in terms of their business. And your numbers are staggering. 85% of business travelers saying that they're exploring new job opportunities. That means travel is going to be part of that, that consideration. And it's almost inevitable they have to be traveling to do it. Yes. Yes, that that is absolutely uh, a fact. It was some numbers that say you just from a screen fatigue, uh, 87% of business travel is in 79% of decision makers that they have this fatigue that's happening. And again, the benefits of that. So yeah. what I would say also, Peter, that, you know, there's some say travel is going to take a long time to come back. We'll see what I would say. Tra- there will be different types of travel. Exactly. Uh, so maybe some will be replaced. Uh, everyone will think about, and, and can I give you an American Express example, do five individuals need to go for that trip to London for two days? Yeah, probably not when we think about an ROI. But does no one go on that trip to London? And Absolutely that's the key. not. And that's the key. Gunther Bright, the Executive Vice President of Global and U.S. Large Enterprises at American Express. Hopefully I'll see you on a plane soon, and thanks for joining us. My thanks to Gunther, to Robert Wood, and to Senator Klobuchar. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel and for answers to your travel questions, please rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com. Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? 
Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Wondery Plus.